the team gets back on this Wednesday, and so Mike, our pastor, you just heard from, and Randy, our global pastor, uh, they are in Asia right now. I know many of you have been praying for them, and we have heard little sound bites of, of what has been happening, and it has been so good. One of the, the stories that we heard, um, the team will go to this park every morning, and they'll spend several hours there, and people are there exercising and running and doing their taekwondo, karate kind of stuff. And our team can strike up these conversations with these people. They're very friendly. And one of our team members had a conversation with this young man, about 24 years old, whose father retired from the military. His mother is a doctor who goes to the, the Buddhist temple and prays every day for luck, health, and peace. And somehow the conversation got turned to where they were talking about life and death. And this Asian young man, or excuse me, our team member asked this Asian young man, he said, so what do you think happens when someone dies? And the Asian young man paused for a minute, and he thought, he said, I don't know. What do you think happens after someone dies? Open door. And so our team member was able to share about Jesus Christ with this young man. And, and when this team member was finished, he asked this young man, he said, so what do you think about this Jesus? And the young man said, you know, I think this might be the right way. As a matter of fact, Yesterday, I had a conversation with another foreigner who had told me the same story and how God had been answering his prayer through his sick daughter, which happened to be another one of our team members. And so God is at work. And this is what I want us to do this morning. It may feel a little awkward at first, but I want us to join together in prayer. And I'm going to pray, and you're going to repeat after me out loud. Are you ready? Here we go. God, we come before you. Say it. We lift up this team. God, open doors for them to share the gospel. God, we pray this nation would come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're going to want to turn to Hebrews pretty fast because we're going to jump right into our text. We've been reading in chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to appear on the screen. Or if you've got it downloaded on your phone, go ahead and scroll to it. But this message has been a message. I've been thinking about it for a long time. And and I'm quite nervous about it. And the reason that I'm nervous about sharing it is because it's really pretty simple. Matter of fact, I'm afraid that it's so simple that it's just going to kind of fall flat or it might fall on a deaf heart. And so I even have this urge that maybe I need to make it more exciting than it really is, as if God's word isn't exciting enough, right? And, and so I'm a little nervous about sharing this with you, but we're going to jump right in to verse 19. So chapter 10 Verse 19, we're going to be, begin reading, and it says this. Therefore, now put a star by that word, okay, that little bitty word. Therefore, brothers, sisters, friends, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now I'm going to stop you right there. Because there's an important word that when we get to Scripture sometimes, we tend to overlook, and that's the word therefore. And the reason we need to stop is there's a reason that it's therefore, okay? And we need to find out what it's there for. It's like this. If I said, therefore, you have $10,000. Well, the information preceding that is quite important because if it, the circumstances were like this, you know, you invested $50,000 and because of the way the economy is going, it's sorry, it's dwindled down. I'm really sorry. Therefore, you have $10,000. The information makes a difference, right? Or if I said to you, 
hey, you know that ticket, that little raffle ticket that you bought from that Boy Scout and you were hoping that maybe you'd win that moped or that iPad or, or whatever? Well, you won the big shebang. Therefore, you have $10,000. See, the information that precedes it is quite important. And so we've got to click on this word, therefore, and we've got to rewind and we've got to review what has been said. The book of Hebrews is like this, it's like taking a shoelace through a shoe and it's, it's taking and it's weaving the Old Testament into the New Testament and crisscrossing all these words that we've been reading and we've been hearing like covenant and priest and altar and sacrifice and high priest and holy place. And the author takes it and he weaves it together and ties it in this little neat bow and he presents it to these people. And he said, now I want you to remember the old Okay, now see, the problem with that is sometimes unless we can appreciate or we understand the old, we can't appreciate the new. My children do not understand or can they appreciate that they have this phone or they have this iPod that they can just click on any song they want to. They can download it. They can play it anytime they want to, wherever they want to go. But they can't really appreciate what they've got because they don't understand the old. They do not understand going to my grandmother's house. In this seven-foot wooden console that I would go to and lift up this 20-pound wooden lid, and inside would be these black bad boy 33-speed records. And somehow, just mysteriously, they would drop onto the record player and you would take this needle, and it would go over there, and you would play this scratchy music. But they can't appreciate what they've got because they don't understand it. But if I were to tell them that story, you know what they would say to me now? There's an app for that. <laughs> they would. There's an app that you can download this record player, and you can listen to Bing Crosby sing White Christmas with all the scratchy noise in the background, just like it was in the old days. All contained, is that not great? All contained, and then when you're done, you can take the needle off of it, and you're done. I mean, how cool is that? The old is in the new, and it's improved, and it's even better than the old. Or I'd say, you know, you guys, you sit in the car, and you're constantly playing with your electronics and your playstations and nintendos and you're watching the dvd as we travel down i mean why don't you do something fun like my sister and i used to do like breathe on the window right and then draw in it some message and then you could breathe on it it gives like a mystery like hide and seek with your breath almost and so you can do that and you know what there's an app for that <laughs> you can download this foggy window and then i know you can't see it very well probably from there you can write in it and then when you're done, you can breathe into it, and it goes away. There's an app for the old. It's been put into the new. I can carry it with me wherever I go, in my purse, in my pocket. I've been known to fall asleep with it, in my bed. I have access to it all the time, the new and the old. You see, the writer of Hebrews, he wanted these people to go, hey, remember the old. Okay, some of them grew up in the old. They knew what it was like to come to this tabernacle. They knew what it was like to offer a sacrifice. Or if they hadn't done it, they had heard their father talk about it. Or they would heard their grandfather talk about it. So it would be like this. It would be like 
um, if you live like 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, and let's say that you were coming to worship God today, and let's just say, although the proportions are not the same, let's say that Grace Point Church building here is the tabernacle, okay? So you would come up to the building, walk through the parking lot, which would be made of dirt, and you would not be carrying diaper bags and coffee mugs and book bags and, and all of these things. You would be carrying a goat or a lamb or a bird or maybe grain that you were going to bring as an offering. And when you came, you wouldn't have choices of doors to go through, but there'd be one door. And you would enter into this one door. And you would enter to, let's say, out there in that foyer area, that was called the outer courts. But you could not go any further because then there was this, this wall right here that had one more door, okay? But you had to stay out in the foyer, out in the outer courts, where when you came, there would be some, this obstacle. It would be this altar. And you would be met there by a priest. And you would offer your sacrifice. They'd tie it to the horns of this altar, and the priest would help offer their sacrifice. And he would take the blood, and he would sprinkle it on the altar. But you couldn't go any further. That's it. You're done. But the priest could come into this next section. Let's say this section right here where you're sitting, which was called the holy place, or sometimes it was called the first section. You've got the outer section, the first section, the holy place. And let's say across this stage right here, there's this big blue purple curtain, this veil that you denying access to the priest right here. The priest would come into this section right here and would offer a sacrifice in the morning and offer a sacrifice at night. And he would take care of the bread that was on the table and he would make sure that the lampstands, that, that they were continually lit. And he would take care of these things, these ritualistic things inside this tabernacle. But once a year, one time, there was one person, not just any priest, but the high priest who at one time of the year on the Day of Atonement, or what we call today Yom Kippur, could enter into this place that had this veil hung. And he could enter into it after making a sacrifice for himself and a sacrifice for all the people's sins. And he could come in where the Ark of the Covenant was, where it said that God dwelt. This is where God's dwelling place is. This was called the most holy place. And one time a year, one person could enter in. And he wants them to remember the old. I want you to look so you can see with me. You're going to flip back a little bit, and you're going to look at chapter 9, okay? Look at verse 1. I don't want you to just hear it. I want you to see it for yourself, what has been written here. In verse 1, he says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness, for a tent, the tabernacle, a tent was prepared in the first section in which there was a lampstand and the table and the bread of presence, and it was called the holy place. And behind the first curtain, there was a second section, and it was called the, I know creative, but it was called the most holy place. And having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered with sides of gold, and, and this is what it looked like. And so look at verse 6, and he wants them to remember this. Hey, you remember when? Approaching God was impersonal. Look in verse 6, it says, These preparations having been made, the priest would go in regularly into the first section. The priest, not you, not the people. Remember when approaching God was impersonal? And remember when approaching God was a ritual? 
In verse 6, he also said, and the priests would enter in, they would perform their rituals, their duties in order to come before God. And remember when approaching God was scheduled? He goes on to say, but into the second place, this place, the most holy place, only the high priest goes. And he, but only one time a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. But if you go down to verse 11, Jesus Christ, he dissolved it all. He obliterated all of this. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest, he entered once and for all. That was it. Jesus Christ entered once and for all into the holy places, not by blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing salvation, securing eternity, securing redemption for us. Jesus Christ simplified it. And yet sometimes we tend to want to complicate it. He took away all the obstacles. Now I want us to go back to verse 19 where we started with the big word, therefore. So considering all of the old. Let's go and appreciate the new. Because of all the old, because of what Christ Jesus did, because he entered through his flesh, his flesh became the veil that was torn and he entered in the holy place. He's the one that made the final sacrifice on the altar. Therefore, 19. Brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In the book of Hebrews, he takes it, and after he weaves the old with the new, and he's explaining it to us, he gives us three encouragements. He gives us three exhortations. And we're going to focus on these verses right here. I want you to say them with me. There's going to be three of them. Let us draw near. Let us hold on. Let us stir up. It's pretty simple, right? The first one is let us draw near near. Do you understand? Do you get that we have been invited into the place where God dwells? You see, we trade the old for what kept us out, and we get the new that invites us in. We get to, without sacrifice, without someone else representing us other than Jesus Christ, come into the presence of God. God. Are you excited? It becomes flat sometimes. We lose the awe that right now you are sitting in the very presence of God. In Psalm 139, it says, There is no place that you can go to escape the presence of God. He is everywhere. But did you know this? You can be in the presence of God and not be near him at all. It's true. A few weeks ago, 
Mike and I were winding down for the day. We turned off the lights. We were in bed. Mike was kind of debriefing his day, and he was telling me everything that had happened, and I was listening to him. And then he just makes this shocking statement. It's one of those statements that you just love to hear from your spouse. You know what I'm saying? He makes this, this, this statement. He said, you know, sometimes I feel like there's like this huge canyon between you and me. I'm, and I'm like, what? What? I mean, I'm, I said, I'm sitting here listening to everything that you just said. I mean, this morning before you left, I, you know, I told you I loved you. We kissed. We talked. I came up to the office. I saw you again. I kissed you there. You came home. I had dinner. I've done all these things for you. I'm listening. I mean, what really, what more do you want me to do? And he said, I know. You're here. Matter of fact, we were in the place that's that our intimate place. You, we're, you're here, and you're listening to me, and you're present, but your heart is far from me. To be in the presence of God and not draw near to him. Not to make you feel guilty, but when, be honest. When is the last time that you were in the presence of God? You see, we complicate it and we tack on like quiet time. And I got to have my quiet time, and, which is all very good, but then I don't have time to have my quiet time. And I feel guilty that I have my quiet time. And I don't have to have quiet time. So then we just omit it completely together. Or we make excuses and we, we reconcile that, hey, I came to church, so I was in the presence of God. And yet in Isaiah, God says this. He says, the people draw near with their mouth and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is because of a commandment made up by men. We get to bypass the impersonal. We get to bypass the, the, the rituals. We get to bypass the scheduled time of meeting with God. And any time we can come and draw near to the presence of God. The second thing that he says is this. He says, let us hold on. Read with me in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. We trade this. We trade no longer holding on to, I hope I will be saved, that my sacrifices are good enough, the priest is going to offer it right and everything. I hope I will be saved. We trade that for, I hold on to the one who has saved. You see, it says, hold on to your confession. Well, what was that? What is your confession? He summed it up in Hebrews for the people at the very beginning. The very beginning of the book of Hebrews, he kind of sums it up like this, that Jesus Christ, he is supreme. He is superior. There is no other name. Jesus Christ is supreme. Jesus Christ is sufficient. And he said it like this. If you look in chapter 1, verse 1, he says something like this. He says, look, a long time ago, God used to speak. And he used to speak in many different ways and at many different times. And he would speak to your fathers. And he would speak to them through prophets. But today, the new Jesus Christ speaks to us. Or God speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, all things were created. And by him, through Jesus Christ, the power of his word, the universe is held together. And Jesus Christ, after he made purification for our sin, he sat down at the right 
hand of God. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, So let us not, let us not forget what we've heard, lest we drift away. You see, the people that were getting these words that we're reading right now, they were suffering. Are you suffering? They were going through a hard time. Are you in a hard time? They were experiencing pain and disillusionment and disappointment and despair. And when that happens, what tends to happen is our faith begins to drift. Our faith begins to dissolve. To be very honest with you, with you there are times that my faith muscles, my trust muscles aren't as strong really as they, they, they should be. Yeah, if you ask me, Lori, do you believe in God? Absolutely. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Do you believe that he is sufficient to meet all your needs? Yes, absolutely. But do you trust him with this relationship? Yeah, I do. But I mean, you know, and I kind of tack on a, an excuse with it. Do you trust him with this problem? Yes, I do. I, but so it's like a belief God, but when it hits the concrete of real life, I start grabbing onto anything that will keep my head afloat. At some times, I'll grab onto fear, more out of just self-preservation because I fear failure or I feel the un fear of the unknown or I fear rejection. And I'm holding on to that instead of letting go and holding on to the promise that God says, do not fear, do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will uphold you or Maybe it's just me. I don't think it's just me. I have a feeling that there could be some people in this room that we tend to hold on to wanting to be in control. Any takers? Come on. Don't leave me hanging up here by myself. For real? Thank you very much. We want to be in control. And we think that's keeping us afloat. But if we will let go and hold on to the promise that God says that he has created all things, and he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Or I hold on to my insecurity and I feel inadequate. I start comparing myself. Yeah, I don't know that I can really do that. I don't know that I'm equipped to do that. I don't know that I can go forward in that. And I'm holding on to this. But if I could let go and come over here and hold on to the promise that God says, you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the world that you should walk in them. What are you holding on to? At our house, we like America's Funniest Home Videos. We're kind of cheesy like that. Um, and there's a couple of predictable scenes that always happen. One, if you ever see a scene that is a child holding a bat and there is a man standing nearby, he will get hit right where it counts every time. Never fails. And there's a scene... Also, that's predictable, if there's an adult standing on a dock and there's a boat and they go to step into the boat, what happens? The boat begins to drift, they do the splits, they fall into the water, and the McDaniel family, all heartless and statistic, die laughing at what has just happened. But this is what happens. We want to hold on to not truth. And quite honestly, if we're holding on to something that is not of God, it can become a stronghold. And God says, hold on to the promise. Hold on to the ones that are holding the promise. And you cannot hold on to both. Because if you do, you will do the spiritual splits and you will fall. And it's not funny when that happens. The 
third thing he tells us to do is this. Is stir up one another. So the first thing is what? What are we to do? Let us what? Draw near. Draw near into God's presence with confidence, with a true heart. The second thing is let us what? Hold on. We can hold on without wavering. Matter of fact, let me just tack this on. If your confession is wavering, it's not the confession that is the problem. It's the confessor that is waving, wavering. Hold on to God. Hold on to the one that holds the promise. And then the third thing is this. Let us stir up. Look at verse 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, God knows we get stuck. God knows that when you became a believer, you didn't swallow some magic bean that made all of your problems and all of your habits and all the way that you used to do things the old way just dissolve and now you become this super spiritual Christian person. He knows that. He knows that we make, I make, this declaration of love that, oh God, I love you so much. I don't ever want to be away from this place. God, I love you so much. I'm always going to spend time in your word. And, and I love how this feels. God, I love you so much. And, and praying, he knows that cultures change, technology change, the landscape change. Human heart hasn't changed. Our love wanes. It begins to grow weak as the journey becomes longer. We endure some hard times just like the Israelites did. And so he says, look, let us consider this word consider actually means like to, to focus in on something, okay? You guys who are hunters, all right, it's duck hunting season, right? Everybody's got their phone like on quack, quack, quack when it rings, because all the duck hunters do. And, and it's duck hunting season, and so they get ready in the morning, and they go out, and they get their place picked out by this tree or in a blind or whatever. And, and maybe because of the timbers, there's this hole, just kind of this opening. And when they get out there, they are considering... They are focusing in on this one section. They're not like fiddling with their gun. I should have got the, the black, you know, rifle instead of the brown one. And they're not looking at their camo going, did my pants match? Did, did, the, did the camo on the bottom match the camo on the top? No. They are considering these ducks that will eventually fly over to light on the water so they can completely wipe them out. But they're considering. They're focusing. And God says, consider how to stir up. And this isn't just a sweet stir up. This is like inciting. This is like a cattle prod. This is like stimulating you to get off your spiritual couch and to get off the lazy faith. And come on, let's go together in this. I, I love sports. I grew up, I was always kind of a tomboy. And I love to play tennis, love to do taekwondo, love snow skiing, water skiing. My ambition is just like full force. Matter of fact, it's better than my aim. So if I got a ball and a bat, you just better get out of the way, all right? But I hate running. Despise it. I hate it. I mean, to go running, if you're a marathon runner, just talk to the hand. Don't talk to me, okay? I don't do it. I don't like it. I run 400 yards and I'm like, I think I'm going to die. I'm in pain. You know, it's hurting. I mean, you're not even really doing anything productive. You're running around the block. I mean, what's the purpose in that? I mean, if you're going to run, at least
least score a point, right? Hit something, do something fun if you're going to run. But run? Just to run? Well, Mike and I are doing uh, CrossFit. I don't know if you're familiar with CrossFit, but you lift weights and you run, all the things I despise. And he's like, he's been like in it full force. And I'm like, two months, off two months. Go two months, off two months. But one thing I have found is this, is if somebody is there to encourage me, to stir me up, that when I'm running, okay, and I'm thinking these thoughts, oh, I hate this, I don't want to do this, I'm no good at this, everybody's better at me, I, I don't, I'm in pain, my muscles are hurting, and I'm thinking I want to quit, and somebody passes me, because they will, and they always do, they pass me, and if they say something like this, come on, girl, you got it, keep it up. There's something within that. There's some power within that. It's like, okay, I can go, I can go just a little bit further, right? And so I get into this place, it's like, I'm, I'm going to be good at this. Man, I'm going to be like the CrossFit superhero. And then something happens. Life gets interrupted. I get sick. The kids have a, a conflicting schedule with the time that I normally go. And so I get away from it. And then I become unmotivated. And then I'm not very strong anymore. And where once I really liked, I liked how it felt. I liked the stamina. I liked the strength that I was getting. I liked that my clothes were fitting better and all those things. Now I'm like going back away from it again. I need somebody to stir me up, to stimulate me, to consider me and encourage me to go forward, to build my muscles. You need to, as a faith body, stimulate, encourage, stir up one another. Yes, you can do this faith. Yeah, all this process is simple. Draw near to God. Hold on and, and stir up. Yeah, it sounds, it, it is. It's not complicated, but it can be tough at times, right? It can be hard at times to put it into action, and we need people around us. I mean, look around. Don't you dare think that the people sitting across the road from you never struggle in their marriage. Don't you dare think that. We're human. Don't think that the person sitting a few rows behind you, well, they don't have the secrets that I have. They don't have the pain that I struggle with. They don't have the past that I've gone through. We have all traveled a road in our heart to bring us to God. And we need to be real. And we need to encourage. Look around. If we can't be real here and if you don't find encouragement here, where are you going to find it? I mean, why are you here today? I mean, your answer is probably very quickly blank. And if you thought about it a little bit longer, it might be, well, I'm here to worship. And I hope you did. I hope you drew into God's presence. Well, I'm here to hear the word, and I, and I hope you have. I hope the truth is marinating in your heart. Well, I'm here to pray, and I hope you did. And I hope you continually live a life of prayer. But you're also here to encourage one another. To stimulate one another. Don't forsake the assembling and meeting together, but encourage one another as the day is drawing near. It's pretty simple. Maybe too simple. That we don't appreciate the old. Don't understand the old. So we don't really take advantage of the new like we should. But do you get, you no longer come up to the tabernacle and stop. 
you get to come into the very presence of God. You no longer have to take part in death and offering a blood sacrifice. Jesus Christ did that once and for all. The cross was enough, wasn't it? You no longer have to come and meet the preacher or a priest or, and be represented before God because Jesus Christ had become our high priest. And if you believe in him, you get to and you can draw into the very presence of God. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. And I hope and I pray that it is a declaration from your heart to God as you draw near into his presence.